Welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today I'm breaking down Grey's Anatomy Season 18, Episode 10, Living in a divide, in a House Divided. The episode this week was really lackluster in my opinion. They tried to throw a few callbacks to the nostalgic magic era of Grey's Anatomy. They threw in a Stairway Heart to Heart. They threw in an Eminem. They tried with the independent movie music that gives that earthy at-home vibe. But it just felt distant. It felt off to me and it seemed to miss the mark, at least for me, even with the Weber moments. I don't know if it was the acting or the writing, but the moments that were supposed to hit just missed the mark. They didn't hit right for me, at least. They even tried to make a cutesy, awkward moment where Meredith reluctantly, very awkwardly introduces Nick to her sisters. The whole thing to me felt very cringe. It felt forced. It felt inorganic. So now I'm just going to give spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I don't want to ruin any ruin anyone's episode for them. If you haven't yet watched season 18, episode 10, and you're a Grace fan, and you don't want anything to ruin your episode, anything to ruin your show, you don't want any spoilers, spoiler alert. Watch the show first, then come back if you're interested in hearing what I have to say. So let's get into the episode now. Today is the day of the M&M where all the surgeons get to discuss the errors that led to different mortalities during surgery, and they figure out what happened step-by-step during the surgery, how everything happened, how the death came about. So this M&M focuses on the death of the podcaster that Dr. Levi Schmidt operated on, who died at his hands. Fans may recall the M&M that focused on Denny Duquette way back when, when Izzy cut his LVAD wire. So Weber, Dr. Weber is getting ready. Meredith brings coffee to her new man in the hotel. After spending their night together, Link seems ecstatic about it. And Joe seems to be feigning happiness, but you can tell there's hesitation. She's not on Link's page about last night. Owen has made it through surgery and Teddy knows that something happened with Hayes in the car before it fell. She wants to know what Owen told Hayes. She wants to know what happened and why Hayes has decided to jet back to Ireland in a rush. Maggie wants to talk to Richard before the M&M, knowing his feet will be held to the fire, but Richard refuses, saying save it for the M&M. Billy asks Dr. Gray for help because she has to run the M&M, so she has some surgeries planned that she can't do. She needs Gray to help her perform surgeries and sit the M&M out. Gray asks Bailey to go easy on Schmidt, and Schmidt is late to the M&M, and all the interns are questioning his roommate, Helm, about where he is, about him. Weber comes in. The M&M starts. Dr. Schmidt should be there presenting his surgery mortality, the surgery of the podcaster to explain what happened, but he's late, so Bailey starts with the M&M, and in walks Schmidt. As Bailey is speaking, he looks sluggish. He looks depressed. His hair is a little bit disheveled. He shuffles to the front. To take over, he walks to the podium to present his surgery. He goes through the patient and he goes through the procedure step by step, presenting to all of the doctors there. Everyone is silent, so Bailey urges the doctors to ask questions, as they should. Dr. Schmidt answers questions. He continues on, and he starts hearing his deceased patient's podcast in his head. He seems out of it, but he continues. Helm stands up for him. She stands. She tries to help him. And he seems very traumatized, and we see that he's reliving the surgery in his mind as the M&M is going on. He goes on, but he keeps having flashbacks and remembering the procedure. He's having flashbacks of it. 
At the podium in front of his colleagues, he then says, I killed him. He's dead. I killed him. And he walks off. He's, he leaves the M&M. He leaves all of the doctors. Dr. Bailey tries to yell after him. We're here to try and determine what happened and how to. And then she cuts off and he runs off. He's obviously traumatized. And I had a feeling that Dr. Schmidt's character was going to have a bigger mental illness story come out of this patient death. And I think that's what we're going to see happen. Nico, Schmidt's boyfriend, runs after him. The other interns and surgeons start getting up to leave, but Miranda Bailey, the chief, insists the M&M isn't over. Bailey asks Dr. Weber to take questions till Dr. Levi returns. One intern asks Weber if Dr. Schmidt was a surgeon and he is the attending, then who is the one in charge? Dr. Weber says the Weber method dictates that a resident shouldn't proceed to the next step in the procedure without an attending present. The intern says he gets the procedure, but he doesn't understand the chain of command. He says the Weber method rotates authority during the surgery, depending on which steps you are on, and that that's confusing. Weber retorts that the more time in the program, if this intern that's asking the question spent more time in the program, that would clear up his confusion. Another surgeon asks Weber what happens if a complication arises, even if it's not at the predetermined step when an attending must be called. Weber says an attending should be called anyway. The surgeon says, but for all intents and purposes, his method sets up the senior attendings at the senior surgeons as attendings. They're basically called at the attendings in that method during that procedure during the surgery. And she says Weber himself used that word when introducing the method to the senior surgeons, saying today you will be attendings when he introduced the method. Maggie asks Dr. Weber, who's also her biological father, if there was ever a meeting of department heads to discuss whether his teaching style, the Weber method, should be adopted. Catherine Fox, who is Dr. Weber's wife, asks if that makes a difference. And Maggie says, yes, they have meetings to discuss what brand of sutures to buy. So why not meet about something as crucial as this? Maggie asks Catherine if other foundation hospitals are using the Weber method of teaching. Another surgeon says that Dr. Weber is Dr. Catherine Fox's chief medical officer, and the method is named after him. Did he never consider that there would be negative consequences or a PR nightmare? Dr. Fox says Dr. Lynn recently promoted the Weber method when trying to recruit residents, and she says it's a teaching tool and not a controversial cure for cancer. Maggie responds, it's a teaching tool that costs a patient their life. Dr. Lynn says Dr. Bailey initially expressed concerns about the Weber method. She asks her what changed for her. Why didn't she continue to bring up those concerns? Dr. Ndugo Dugu asks if the M&M is on the patient or on the Weber method because the Weber method didn't hold the scalpel. Maggie says there are residents who aren't ready. And Dr. Lynn asks if the American Board of Surgery has sanctioned the Weber method. Everyone is in an uproar. Barry, Bailey loses control of the M&M. Everyone is asking questions, bashing Richard's teaching method. And Owen, we see him recovering. He's in a hospital bed. Teddy is by his side. He says that the pain is okay now. It's He's still in pain, but it's tolerable. And Teddy closes the room door and tells Owen she knows he has gone through something horrible. She's given it two days, but now she insists she will sit there until Owen tells her what is going on. She says Noah's wife has called their house looking for Owen. Clearly we know it's for the stolen drugs he will give to Noah's buddies for under the table assisted suicide. That is illegal in their states, even though they are terminal. But Teddy doesn't know about that yet. 
She asks why Noah's wife is calling their house looking for Owen. And we know Owen made a promise to Noah's wife before he assisted his suicide, saying that he was going to help his friends also go through with it, even though it wasn't allowed in their state. Teddy says after all they have been through after 20 years, she deserves the truth. She asks what Heather, Noah's wife, wants. She says she knows Hayes quit and that something happened in the car. She wants Owen to tell her what's going on. Owen tells Teddy something happened in the car, but he asks her to trust him. He says he can't tell her. Teddy says she deserves trust. Owen says she can sit there as long as she wants, but he refuses to tell her. He says he loves her, but he can't tell her. Teddy says, you can tell me, but you won't tell me. Owen says, okay, I won't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Catherine is talking to Bailey. She says, legal hasn't heard from the Gomez family yet, the family of Levi's patient who died at his hands. Dr. Fox feels they may avoid a lawsuit completely. And she tells Bailey she has she has decisions to make. That Weber is her husband, but this is Bailey's hospital as chief. Dr. Fox tells her the method was successful as long as the residents stuck to the procedure. But surgical residents aren't known for their humility, so whether or not the method continues on after the suspension is up to Bailey. It's in her hands. Meredith does her surgery, and she asks Bailey how the missed M&M was. She wants to check in on Richard. Bailey tells Meredith the M&M was awful and Richard needs space. Bailey asks Dr. Gray to fill in on other surgeries, and she has her day scheduled already, but Bailey begs her, so Dr. Gray capitulates. She agrees to help, and she brings in her new man to help as well. Dr. Ndugu asks Maggie if she's okay because she went after Richard at the M&M, and Maggie said she went after the Weber method, not Dr. Weber, and her husband, Dr. Ndugu, says the Weber method is Richard. Maggie asks her husband, Dr. Ndugu, if he can stand, if he can still stand by the Weber method after everything that happened. He says they don't use it in their department, so he wouldn't know. Maggie says she knows everyone respects Richard. And she does too. She respects him a great deal. And also, Dr. Weber is her father, her biological father. That's why she asked to speak to him privately before the M&M, out of respect. Dr. Ndugu insists that the method works, but Maggie hasn't been around to see it. She says she hasn't been around and she comes back and Richard's new teaching method has gotten someone killed and no one is being honest with him about it. Maggie says she knows her husband respects Richard. She knows everyone respects Richard. She respects Richard too and she loves Richard. So she is going to keep telling him the truth. Nico, Kim, Levi's boyfriend, asks Link if he's seen Levi. And no one has seen Levi since he walked out of the M&M. Link hasn't seen Levi. So Nico asks Link if things are better between him and Dr. Shepard. And this writing sucks. It's a very awkward, unnatural scene where Link and Nico are just standing at the nurse's station randomly talking while they're getting their iPads. And it seems very unnatural for them to be having this conversation. Link says things aren't better, but he feels great because in his mind, he's moved on with Joe. He doesn't know that Joe isn't happy with uh, them hooking up. He goes to his to his next patient, Link, and it's a very overweight lady, Miss Hanley. 
She's an elementary school teacher, and she has a numb leg and shooting pains below the knee. She has had this problem before. She's gotten cortisone shots to help her, but now her leg feels off, and it feels a little different this time than usual. Link tells Perez, the intern, to do a knee workup, and he tells the patient he'll get her her cortisone shot after. And an old patient of Amelia comes in. It's 26-year-old Francesca Lyons. She has lower back pain, and she had an epidural for a herniated disc three weeks ago and then six weeks ago before that. She also has pain during sex. She has a new boyfriend, so Amelia calls in OBGYN as well. And Gray sees Hayes in the hospital, and she asks him about quitting. He says he has cases to hand off. That's why he's at the hospital, but yes, he quit. She says that Bailey can't lose him now. She tried calling him to try to talk him into staying, try to talk to him about leaving. And Hayes said, packing the boys up has been hectic. Gray asks, so your life flashed before your eyes. You realize you're unhappy and now you need to quit. And Hayes says something like that. She asks, so your plan was to leave without saying goodbye? And he says, yeah. And she asks, why? And he says, if I say goodbye to you, Gray, I might not, I might not actually leave. To me, this is ridiculous. I don't feel like they were that close or there was that much chemistry. This seems really forced and out of place. And Hayes says, in all the years since Abigail died, and as we recall, Abigail is the wife who passed from ovarian cancer, that Gray is the first one who got it and made him feel less alone. She helped him believe there may be life after Abigail, his dead wife. And he thanks her for that. My question is, when, during what scene, did... Meredith make him feel like there's life beyond his dead wife, Abigail. I know during Meredith's C-19 hospitalization, he visited her and he was very supportive. And we know Christina sent Hayes. But I didn't see that much more than a friendship for all this exit speech. Next up, Dr. DeLuca and Joe examine Dr. Shepard's patient, Francesca. She asks her how long she had severe period pain. And she said since she had her period, she's in pain. We learned she could have endometriosis when the cells that line the uterus grow outside the uterus and the tissue can accumulate in one space and cause pain, including back pain. And we learned that it needs to be biopsied at surgery, but it is treatable with surgery. Meredith's boyfriend, Nick, gets privileges to operate and he helps out by doing a hernia surgery. Helm calls Bailey to help her with a patient who has a wound from a circular saw accident, and it's a pretty typical run-of-the-mill type thing that just needs sutures and examination, and Bailey asks why Helm didn't clean out and examine the wound and then suture the wound, and Helm says she thought Bailey would want to examine the patient first just in case she's being extra careful. It seems to me like she has a little bit of anxiety after what happened with Schmidt, and she suggests that Bailey observe while she does the wound examination to just make sure that she does it right. She seems to be like not sure of herself. And Bailey says Helm hasn't done anything, so how could she be doing anything wrong? Link goes to follow up with the overweight teacher with the leg and the knee issue. And he asks Perez where the cortisone shot is. And Perez suggests that maybe the patient should get an MRI. Link asks the patient to show him again where it hurts. He tells her the shot will help, but a permanent solution would be her losing some weight. He suggests that she take light walks with a friend and build up from there. And Perez is overweight himself. He's cringing at Link's treatment of the patient. The patient is also not happy with the way Link is treating her about being overweight. She says she's dieted since 1992. She gets a workout all day long, chasing eight-year-olds daily. She asks how she can walk with her friends when she has shooting pain from her knee. 
Link says she'd be surprised what 10 to 15 pounds can do to exact an extra 10 to 15 pounds can do to exacerbate joint pain. If she just lost 10 to 15 pounds, it would make a difference. The patient says, so if I figure out how not to be fat, all of my problems will magically go away. And then she says, thank you. And then she gets up and she says, zero stars. She limps away and Link stops her when he notices her gait. And he tells her that she has something called foot drop based on her gait. And Perez points out that weight loss won't fix foot drop. Perez says, now you see that we need to schedule the MRI. And he says he's going to walk there. And he says walking there will help him because he's overweight as well. But it's going to help the patient more. Hayes is carrying out his box of stuff from the hospital. And Teddy asks him what happened between him and Owen. And Hayes tells her to talk to Owen, talk to her husband directly. Teddy says she is talking to Owen, but he won't talk to her. And she says there is something wrong with Owen. Even before he got in the car, even before the accident, she feels it. And she she feels it now. She felt it then. Teddy says, if you have loved Owen as long as she has, you can feel when he is lying to you. You feel your stomach turn to ice. Last week, her organs felt like ice after the car wreck. She said she needed them to thaw before seeing Owen. This week, she feels her stomach turn to ice. This writing leaves a lot to be desired. I wonder if it's the same writer that's writing this. Teddy says, now Owen is hurt and he's in so much pain and she has this horrible feeling in her whole body. So can Hayes please tell her what happened in that car? Hayes tells Teddy, he told me to get out first. He told me to think about my kids and for that, he's always going to be in Owen's debt. Hayes says... He tells Teddy, it's a miracle Owen survived, and if it was him in that car, he might not have. Hayes says, thanks to Owen, he got to go home to his kids, and he gets to bring his kids back to his family in Ireland. He gets the chance to build a new life, all thanks to Owen. Teddy asks, but why? Why are you building a new life? Teddy tells him she sees him at work. It's not like him to quit without notice. Teddy tells Hayes, whatever Owen did... Whatever Owen said to him must be so big that he is willing to uproot uproot his whole life, his whole career, his whole family, and she is sorry for that. Hayes tells her his life was uprooted way before he got in the car with Teddy and Owen to get the donor heart for Farouk. He tells Teddy, Owen, her husband, is alive. She should hold on to that. She should be grateful for that, and he tells her goodbye. He's not going to tell her anything more. Next, Weber is sitting alone in the M&M room, pondering the situation that he finds himself in. Maggie enters. Weber says he wants to be alone. Maggie says she knows he wants to be alone, that she knows how traumatizing it is to lose a patient due to an honest mistake. And Richard says he does know, and he reminds her she does know too, reminding her of his niece, Sabie, who died at Maggie's hands due to her own error as a surgeon. Maggie acknowledges that Richard is right. She says, because of Sabie, she knows how agonizing it is for a family to lose a loved one due to a surgical error, especially one that could have been avoided, one that could have been prevented. Richard tells Maggie, his daughter, that she humiliated him in the hospital where he has worked for over 30 years. Maggie says that was not her intention. She was just trying to do her job. She says she took an oath. Weber is more pissed now, saying he took the same damn oath He says Schmidt didn't make a mistake. Schmidt made a decision. He chose to subvert Weber's teaching method. He chose to proceed without waiting. And yet somehow Maggie goes after him. Maggie goes after Weber. Maggie says she believes in systems. She believes in scientific data. 
in running scenarios multiple times to ensure they work before implementing new procedures. She says she doesn't believe they have done that here in this case with the Weber teaching method. Richard asks, we, who's we Maggie? He says, Maggie hasn't been here. Neither has Meredith, so neither of them gets to have an opinion about this. He yells, Maggie, leave me alone. Before I say something, I will regret. Maggie leaves. Richard is pissed off. And we go back to a scene of Joe and Dr. DeLuca operating on the endometriosis patient. Maggie tells Meredith that she's worried about Richard. She asks Meredith if she thinks it's a good method. She says it's good for a lap coli when there were two-month-long waiting lists for patients in need. Then Weber extended the, the teaching method to more complicated procedures. Meredith wasn't here, but she thought Weber felt the residents could handle it. Maggie tells Meredith Weber screamed at her that they don't get a say because they weren't there, that Weber feels neither of them get a say since they weren't there. Meredith asks how she got dragged into this. She asks, because she, is it because she wasn't at the M&M? Meredith says she signed off on the Weber method and she wasn't there to defend it, so she gets why Weber thinks she abandoned him. Maggie says Weber thinks they all abandoned him. Teddy brings Megan coffee. She's sitting with her son Farouk, who's in the hospital after his heart transplant. Megan can see Teddy is bothered by something. She asks what, what it is. Teddy asks Megan if Owen said anything to her. She asks if Hayes told Megan what Owen told him. Megan says Hayes came in to check on Farouk and he said goodbye to her. She said the near-death experience got to him. Teddy says Owen is keeping something from her and it's big. She says for all she knows, he has a secret wife in another country. Teddy tells Megan, Owen's sister, that Owen confessed something to Hayes. It wasn't a near-death experience that made Hayes quit. It's what Owen told him when he thought he was dying. Teddy says Owen must have confessed something. And if it's so big, he can't tell her. And then Megan interjects Owen probably did do something, that it's Owen, that Owen is rash and Owen is stupid and almost always when he makes those kind of decisions, he's being incredibly selfless. Megan says they all almost died to save Farouk, her son, but Owen put himself last so the heart would make it to Farouk. Owen chose to end his life and went careening down a cliff for them, for Farouk, for herself, for Teddy, for Hayes, and he would do it all over again. Owen always believes he's making the right decision, so whatever he did, whatever he's doing, it's Owen, and he must believe that it's his only option if he's doing it. Link is operating on his overweight patient with the foot drop with Perez, and Bailey walks in. She tells Perez when he's done he's needed an OR5 because she's short on residence, and Link tells Chief Bailey Perez made a nice catch on this patient. He caught a foot drop that Link missed due to a spinal disc herniation. Bailey congratulates Perez and tells him he's the only one who hasn't turned into a hapless intern after the M&M. Perez says he caught it because he examined the patient thoroughly. And Perez has a little resentment as he's mentioning this. And Perez is overweight himself, just like the patient. And initially, Link suggested the patient's knee pain was due to the extra weight she was carrying around. Perez thought that the pain wasn't due to her being overweight, and he suggested an MRI, which Link initially ignored, suggesting the usual cortisone shot for the pain. And he suggested the patient take walks to lose weight that would impact the joints less if she had less weight on her. As the patient walked away, then Link noticed the odd gait she had and the foot drop, and then he ordered the MRI that Perez initially suggested. And he conceded that the knee pain was not due to the patient's weight, but due to the foot drop, due to something else. 
Perez is still a little bitter about this, so he has a little tone when explaining to Bailey that he was thorough in checking out the patient. And Link says that excessive weight can cause joint damage, and Perez says that's true, but Link looked at the patient and decided she was just another fat person. And Perez tells Link, fat people know they're fat. They don't need to be told that they're fat. And Link says, of course not, but if the weight might be making the pain worse, and Perez says, exactly, might be, might be making the pain worse, but it's not for sure. He says, obesity is a disease. It's not as easy for some people to lose weight as it is for people like Link, who are fit and athletic. Link apologizes. He said he made a snap judgment looking at her past history, looking at her weight, looking at her BMI. Bailey tells Link, stop looking at the BMI. Billy tells Link, it's stupid. The body mass index is a fancy title developed like 200 years ago by a mathematician. It doesn't account for differences in bone density or in muscle tone or fat. It looks at numbers and not distribution. Billy continues, so stop looking at it and examine the patient. Link asks, so why is BMI on the charts still if it's not important? And Bailey says, so insurance companies can rob everyone blind and make people pay higher premiums for higher BMIs. She says it's stupid. Next, um, we see that Joe has acted a little weird around Amelia a few times during the day. So when Joe catches Amelia up on the patient's endometriosis plan, Amelia tells Joe she knows Link is mad at her and she can hear it in Joe's voice that goes up an octave every time she enters a room that Joe is, she knows because of this, Joe is the person Link talks to about her. And she understands Joe is Link's bestie, that Joe and Link are going to talk about it. And Amelia tells Joe she is grateful that Link has someone to talk to. But if it means that they can't work together, that um, Joe is going to be awkward, they can't work together effectively, then she needs Joe to tell her that. Amelia says it was awkward working with Joe today and that their first responsibility is to their patients. Dr. DeLuca overhears this conversation between Joe and Amelia at the nurse's station, and she tells Joe, my wife works 24-hour shifts. She asks Joe to get coffee and talk, and Joe tells her, you're my boss, and you also studied the female orgasm, and she asks her, sex is good, right? And Dr. DeLuca says she is very pro-casual sex, because Joe asks, casual sex is good, right? And Dr. DeLuca confirms She's very pro-casual sex like anyone would be. And Joe asks, well, is casual sex with friends good? And Dr. DeLuca says, yeah, casual sex with friends can be the best kind of casual sex. She says a friend wants to take care of your body and make you feel safe and please you all at the same time. So, you know, what could be wrong with that? She says, but it's not casual for you, is it? And DeLuca says, okay, Wilson, if you love him, you have to tell him or you have to stop having sex with him. Those are the only two choices she has to give to have the friendship have a chance of surviving. And next, Bailey is going down the stairwell and she comes across a dejected helm. She's moping, sitting on a step alone in the stairwell. It's a callback to the old stairwell moments of Grace. Bailey tells Helm she was so busy and were busy worrying about Schmidt and what Schmidt did in the OR, but Helm was in there too, and Bailey knows she's not okay either, and she missed that, and she's sorry. Helm says she used to never raise her hand in class, even though she always had the right answer. All through elementary school, she was so scared that people would hate her or call her a know-it-all, so she just didn't raise her hand, even though she knew the answers. And Helm says she thought she outgrew it. She tells Bailey she should have said something to Levi. She could have stopped him in the OR, that Levi would have listened to her as his best friend. 
Bailey says it can be very hard to speak up to people who are so sure of themselves. But in that OR, Schmidt was a lead surgeon. He wasn't just Helm's best friend. He was also her boss and her superior in that OR. Bailey says she was a know-it-all too, even though it's hard to believe. Weber and Amelia Shepard are having an AA meeting. They're having a heart-to-heart type meeting. And Weber says he preaches responsibility and he encourages people to take the full consequences. He tries to live his life with personal accountability. Even if his intent was good, it killed a man. Maggie and Meredith walk in and Maggie says, your intent was good, Richard. Meredith tells Richard lines can blur and sometimes good intentions can cloud good judgment. She says she's sorry she wasn't here. She was gone with good intentions. Weber tells Meredith, Maggie, and Amelia, you are the three closest I have to a... And he says, well, you know, and he means a family. He says, the thought of disappointing you guys is unbearable. Maggie says she wasn't disappointed. She was mad. She was enraged, not at Richard or at the Weber method. She says she was a little mad at Richard, but mostly she was enraged at herself because suddenly she was right back there again, right there where Schmidt was when Sabie died at her own hands. She says she has spent years struggling with the right amount of accountability to take for Sabie's death on her table. She says the surgeon with the scalpel in their hands is the one who is ultimately responsible, but if you discount all of the other factors at play, how does that surgeon recover and move forward and heal other people? How does that surgeon heal? Maggie says what happened to Levi is devastating. What happened to her with Sabi is devastating too, and it deserves to be scrutinized from every single angle. Weber says the world has changed. Medicine has evolved, that these students are unlike any he has ever taught, and he wanted to give them something to feel excited about practicing medicine. Meredith says he is what's exciting about them practicing medicine. They don't need a method. They just need him. They need Dr. Weber himself. Meredith's new man had a flawless surgery. He's done with surgery. Meredith says maybe it's Seattle. He says maybe it's having his favorite resident back, the one Meredith brought back for Bailey, the Bailey fan. Nick asks Meredith to grab dinner, and her sisters are behind her. Amelia and Maggie, they're staring awkwardly at Nick. They try to make this a cute, awkward moment, like Meredith has to reluctantly introduce him to the sisters, but it just seems weird and cringe to me. Meredith apologizes to Nick because she's about to introduce him to her sisters. She tells them this is Nick. They say hi awkwardly and stare at Meredith, who says she has a thing to go do. They smile, saying they like Minnesota. They're trying to make it cutesy, but it's totally a scene that's reaching, in my opinion. Amelia says Minnesota is full of surprises, referring to Kai, and she says she has a thing to do, too. As Maggie eyes her, wondering what she means, and Maggie's following Amelia, trying to figure out what she means... Next, we go to a scene of Joe's apartment. Joe already brought home dinner, and Link comes home with his baby and with dinner as well. And Link starts telling um, telling Joe what happened with his patient, and she starts talking as well. He tells Joe to go first. She tells him that they shouldn't have sex anymore, and he says, okay, but asks if she's sure, and she says yes. And next, we go to Weber. He's sitting in his office, and Billy asks him to talk. He invites her in. She says she let Weber down when he introduced the Weber method. Billy said she had concerns, but she decided to trust him because it was him. It was Chief Weber. She says she should have been more vocal from the beginning of it. She should have said something more. And Weber tells her it's okay. She can say it. She can say everything she has to say. 
She says despite the physician shortage and the backlog of surgeons, she feels strongly that the Weber method should not just be suspended temporarily, it should be suspended permanently. Weber says he understands, and for the record, Bailey did say something, and he had his wife overrule her, and it wasn't right of him, and it wasn't fair of him. And he apologized to Bailey. He says he's sorry he did that. Levi is playing video games in his mom's basement, and Nico, his boyfriend, checks in on him after his mom calls him. Nico asks him to go away. Nico tells Levi they've all lost patience. He knows that it's hard, but it's part of the job, that Levi has to go back to work. Levi refuses. He says he's not going back there. He seems adamant about it. Nico tells Levi, if you don't come back, you're going to lose your residency. Levi asks Nico to go away. Don't come back. He tells Nico, we're done. And Nico leaves. And next we see Teddy. Teddy walks back to Owen's room and she finds the vet's wife talking to Owen, getting his car keys. The wife thanks Owen. She leaves his room. Teddy grabs her coat and she follows the vet that he helped do assisted suicide, his wife, back to Owen's car to find out what's going on. Owen asks her not to follow, but Teddy insists. She gets to Owen's car with the vet's wife getting the pills out of his car. Teddy tells her, tell me what you just got out of my husband's car or I'm going to have to call the police. And then we go to Meredith. Meredith meets Nick outside the hospital. She asks Nick if he has to leave tonight. He says he doesn't want to leave Meredith ever. He apologizes. He asks, was that weird for me to say I never want to leave you? And Nick says, screw it. We're both adults. I don't care. I don't like leaving you. I want to be with you. Nick asks Meredith to take the red eye back with him and to spend a few days with him. But Meredith says she has her kids and she used to know everything that went on in the hospital. But she says now she feels disconnected from the hospital. She feels disconnected from all the people she's close to. She says Dr. Hamilton is recovering. So Meredith says she's going to take advantage of that. She wants to stay put, but she never wants to leave Nick either for the record. And she has Nick go home with her since her kids are asleep. And Meredith's voiceover says, it's been said that a house divided against itself cannot stand, but conflict on the road to progress is inevitable. At least some division is always a certainty because we all want what we think is best for everyone. And when we can trust at least that much to be true, it's simply unrealistic for any house to avoid some division. But how much division can any house withstand before it finally falls and the episode ends? It's not my favorite episode or my most hated, but it's going to, it's not going to be an episode I want to go back to when I need a little earthy, nostalgic, graycation pick me up either. I really want the show to find its magic again, and I'm not sure if it's the tired writing or the empty storylines or the lack of chemistry and enthusiasm, but it doesn't feel intuitive and it doesn't feel raw. It doesn't evoke the same emotional tug on my heartstrings that Grey's used to. That does it for this episode. I really hope they don't milk this Owen storyline forever. It's just not that interesting. I don't feel invested in what happens to Link or to Joe or to Kai. I'm going to keep watching till it ends one day. But I'd like to see the show find its magic once more before it takes its last breath. I don't know how many more seasons it will go, but there's so much missed opportunity. I know there's going to be a season 19. I hope it really picks up. I really, really want the show to pick up. Thanks so much for watching Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay covering tonight's episode of Grey's Anatomy. See you next week for more Grey's and this week for more Sister Wives. I'll be covering the episode with Truly's Kidney Failure next where she is hospitalized. 
because I get a lot of comments on that. I'll cover that this weekend. I'll also cover before the 90 days on 90 day with Mary Jane K, my other channel. And next week, I also got a request to cover the second episode of season eight of Sister Wives. So after I cover Truly's kidney episode, kidney failure episode this week, I will cover season episode two of season eight next week. And then I will go back to episode four of season one where I left off with season one the week after that. Thanks so much for watching. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Grey's Anatomy, on Sister Wives, or anything else I've covered. Anything else you would like me to cover down below in that comment box, please let me know. Thanks so much for watching. Bye.